0: Christ. This is a new series that we are beginning uh, called In the Meantime. I want to thank you. Last series we had a good series and I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you and I hope that this opportunity, um, that this series will be an encouragement to you as it has been an encouragement to me in that regard. Remember, after right after worship service I'm going to be in the uh, fellowship hall where the tables are and there's coffee if If there's something you want to discuss as it relates to the class or just, you know, maybe from the last class, we can just take a few moments and uh, it's the goal of getting fellowship extended into that room, you know, since the Hispanics are going to be moving into the auditorium. So it's a great time to sit around, have coffee. If anybody wants to bring free food next time, just bring it. You know, we'll all share uh, in that regard. If you had an opportunity to go back in time. To your teen years. If you had an opportunity to go back in time to your teen years, how many would do it? Anyone? Anyone? You can change things if you go back to your teen years, yes. One, two, three, four, five, okay. If you can go back to your 20s. Anybody? One, two, two, three, four, to your 20s, okay. If you can go back to your 30s. 30s, one, two, three. Okay, okay. Now, for you gotta understand. What about the 40s? 40s. There you go. About the 50s. 50s for the for the for the for the seasoned citizens here. Okay. Most people want to go back in time. Why? To make a change. To change something that happens, Okay. Something typically usually not very good. That they can maybe a different choice, a different situation to make a change along that line. Okay? That is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about and we're going to be addressing this question. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you're in a situation and you can't fix it, okay? This is a long series of kind of looking at this whole concept of what do you do when you're in a what we call a meantime moment. As somebody pointed out, the word mean is in the meantime moment, right? And so that's what we're going to kind of look at. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? Let's just share a little bit about what we're talking about when we're talking about a meantime moment, Okay? A meantime moment has three qualities in it. One, it's a new normal. Everything is going great. Something happens. All of a sudden, it changes everything. You go into work. You get called into a meeting. And they say, we're going to have layoffs. What? And you're top on the list. One time, I was working in manufacturing. And they called a meeting on the floor. And so, they wouldn't get any lawsuits. They decided, okay... Right down here, you guys stay, you guys are fired. People are jumping lines and just, you know, everything. But it's a situation It's new. It's a new normal. Okay? That's one of the qualities. You get that phone call from one of your parents and they say, I can no longer take care of mom or dad. We need your help. Changes everything, doesn't it? So, A a meantime moment is a new normal is created. Number two, you don't like it. (laughs) There are things that change. Hey, I got a new job. I'm getting a raise. That's not a meantime moment. That's a happy moment. A meantime moment is something that a new normal is created and you do not like it. And you're like, wow, this is not what I had planned for me. This is not what I wanted to take place. Can anyone think of an example? You got fired. You got Okay, same situation, you know. You got fired. I don't like it. Now, some people go like, I like this. i have going to like the unemployment, you know. It's like, yes. You, get, you go to the doctor and you find out you do have cancer. Yeah, you don't like it. And believe me, I think that's why fewer people go to the doctors. Because they don't want to know. Even though they should know, but they're afraid. Before we didn't we were afraid of going to the doctor because we didn't think the c word would be used. And all of a sudden, man. Any other example? Death. Death of a loved one. Yeah, it's a new normal, and you don't like it. So, yeah, exactly along that line. And the third element is, it's not going to change anytime soon. It's going to go on maybe for a year, maybe two, maybe three, or maybe permanently. Now, for those of us that are in our 50s, we start getting it. It's all of a sudden we start getting an ache and a pain. We go to the doctor and you're not going to die, but you're going to struggle with this arthritis for the rest of your life. And you're like, what the heck? I thought when I became a Christian, I wouldn't have any aches and pains. Right? I thought when I became a Christian, you know, everything would be great. It's a new normal. You're in a marriage situation, you're not going to get a divorce, but then you realize, you know, this is this is not my ideal dream of a marriage. And I don't like it. I can't get her to change. I can't get him to change. What do I do? What do you do when you feel like there's nothing well I can nag, but you realize that doesn't work. But what do you do when there's nothing you can do? See, you get the, you get told, I want a divorce. And you're like, what? Didn't even see it coming. I don't like it. This is not, it's a new normal now. What do I do? A child is born but has special needs. God, what do I do? Wait a minute. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? This is what we're going to be focusing on for the next few weeks as we look at this whole issue, this whole topic along that line here's three challenges though here's three problems number one is we believe we can fix it right we think we can fix this situation that's one of the problems i have as a guy and as you know kind of someone that likes ministry if somebody comes to me and tells me a problem i usually can go well this is what you need to do this 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 this." But there have been many times somebody comes up to me and tells me their problem, and I'm like, I, 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 be warm and well fed. I don't know what to tell you. Because it's so, it's so challenging. You're in debt, and you're going to stay in debt for the rest of your life because of situations that happen. It may be your fault, it may not. It didn't matter. You're in it. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? Okay? And most of us, when we're in that situation, we don't want anyone to fix it. We just want someone to what? Listen. Empathize. Listen. Okay? And that's really true. So that's one of the challenges. The other challenge is, when you're in a meantime moment and you're in that kind of a situation, and you think, God, why, why can't I be married? Why can't I have kids? And you look around and you see everybody else has it all together. Right? Why can't I have a child like this family? I joke all the Why can't I have children like, like Doug Portels? Why not? Why do I have to deal with what I'm dealing with? Okay? Why did I do that? Yeah. The surrender. Help me to control the things I can't control. That I can't. And the wisdom, but that's the key. Sometimes we don't know the wisdom to know the difference, number one. But we do look around and everyone's, you know, everyone's getting, you know, they have the family they want, they have the money they want, they have the skills they want, they have the looks that I wish I had. God, what are you doing? There's nothing you can do. And the last challenge is God is silent. You prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you're like, all right, God, what's the answer? And you hear nothing. That's the answer, but we don't know how to interpret the answer. And so we begin to think, God's angry with me, or is apathetic, you know, or He's just absent. Hey, I'm, I'm really busy over here with other things in the world. I'll get to you Later. And that's the challenge that we're faced with, okay? And this is what we believe. that God, We believe that God is either angry with us, apathetic, or absent. And then for most people, they just say, I'm out. I quit. Why am I going to continue if God's angry with me, apathetic, or absent? And that's where the challenge comes in. And so for this lesson, the foundational lesson, number one, is that when you are going through your meantime moment, and you may be in here saying, everything's great with me, praise God, but time will come when you will be in your meantime moment, that when you struggle and think God is angry with me, even if it's your fault, I had an affair, I regret it, I told God I'm sorry, I tried it, but everything's changed now, it's never going to be the same. I guess God's just going to be angry with me, apathetic with me, and just ignore me for the rest of my life. And we're going to look at the reality, which is that's not true. Just because you're going through a meantime moment does not mean God is absent, apathetic, or angry with you. And you may look at me and say, alright, prove it. Okay, look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. In verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have what? Hope. We know God said, and, 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 and we know that John wrote, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He didn't say God so loved only good people. He says God so loved the world. So I'm thinking, is there an example of somebody in the Scriptures that went through a meantime moment And yet, we know God was not angry, apathetic, or absent. Job was one, right? He felt that way, but it wasn't true. Anybody else you can think of? Saul? Yeah. God changed his mind of his role, but he was not apathetic or absent. Okay? Yes. Yes. David, especially with uh, Uriah and Bathsheba. God said, look, I've forgiven you of your sins. I love you, but there are consequences. But here's the deal. I'm going to help you manage those consequences. Isn't that what he said with Adam and Eve, right? What you did is wrong. Here are the consequences. However, I love you. I'm going to help you manage those consequences. If you will, let me. OK, so we do see that God many times, even though we are struggling and we're in a meantime moment when we think God doesn't care. He says, I do care. You've got to to the beginning process of getting through your meantime moment or learning to manage it is understanding that God is not angry with me, absent or apathetic because that's the beginning process of getting learning to manage your meantime moment whatever that is that you're currently going through does that make sense yes Exactly, And therefore, it is normal to feel that way. But the question is, where are we going to put our faith and our trust? So as you're going through your whatever your meantime moment is, as you're going through it. You need to understand that God is not absent, apathetic or angry with you. But the opposite is true as well. Meaning. Do you remember times in your life where you're like, God, I love you, but can you stay over here? I'm going to go do something I know you really don't approve, and I don't want you to know. So if you could stay here at the church building this weekend, I'm going to do this. And I love listening to KY, you know, Christian radio, but not at this moment. So is that okay? You know, I'm going to do something, and I just don't want you around. And we laugh because we've all been there, right? Was God really absent? No. So in the same way, when there are times in our life when we didn't want God around, God goes, I'm right here. And in the same way when we feel like, God, where are you? I don't. You're not around. And God goes, I'm right here. I just thought that was... Okay, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that before. That's for, you know, that just wants to do that. But it's still the same, just, just in case. Okay, it's still the same. Look now in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to look at one story in particular. Is there someone in the scripture that felt like God was a million miles away, and yet, God made it very clear, man, I love this guy. I love them. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on there to teach and to preach in the town of Galilee. When John, John the Baptist, heard in prison what Christ was doing, He sent his disciples asking him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swaying by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear the cl- fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Oh, yes. I tell you, more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Where was John the Baptist? He was in jail. Anybody know how long he's been in jail? Up to this point? Most scholars believe, if you look especially at Matthew 4.12, it says right after Jesus' baptism, John was put in prison. About a year and a half. About a year and a half. What's prison like back in Jesus' day? Did they have cable TV? Three meals a day? What was different about prison back then? And if you ate, who had to bring you the food? No. Who had to bring you food? Friends and family, right? Otherwise, you don't eat. You die. John's in there a year and a half. Why did he send his disciples to Jesus? Why did John the Baptist send his disciples to Jesus? Faith was getting shaky. Was it really because, you know, Lord, I looked over the Old Testament and there's about 250 prophecies. You fulfill about 135. Uh, Are you really the one? Why did He send them? Why would you send them? What would your question be? You're in jail for a year and a half. Where are you, cousin? Dude! I've been in prison here a year and a half for telling the truth! Right? And is he getting out anytime soon? Matter of fact, he's probably going to... He ends up being beheaded, right? He knows that. He's like, come on, Lord! Where are you? Where are you? You're my cousin! You're my friend! He says it, look! It's been a year and a half. Go find my cousin. Tell him I'm here. Tell him, help. You ever felt that way with God? God, don't you understand what's going on? Help me. Silence. Sometimes you get the answer what? Of no. You're going to go through what you're going to go through. And we think God doesn't care, but he does care. But that's what John the Baptist is going through, right? So he sends his disciples, he says, go find out. Now, John typically is by the Dead Sea over here in the desert. Jesus is over, you know, around the Sea of Galilee. So think of it this way. John's in the desert, Jesus is at the beach. Did you find Jesus? Yeah, where is he? He's at the beach. Doesn't he know I'm here? Come on. What did he tell you? He said, tell John, I'm blessing everyone's life. How would that make you feel? <laughs> right? He says, the death of, you know, people are being healed, raised from the dead, people are being helped. He goes, Really? But I'm here? Why didn't he come here and perform a miracle and get me out of here? Just transport me out, send an angel, something. And then our Lord says something very interesting. He says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away because of me. And I'm like, what? What in the world does that mean? What do you think it means? I'm talking about John. What does it mean? Remain faithful, but... Jesus, blessed is the man who doesn't fall away because of me. Who would fall away because of Jesus? What? Blessed is the man when you look around and you see everyone being blessed, but you feel like God has abandoned me and like I'm out. Jesus is loving other people, but he's not helping me. Right? You have been there before? Right? Why can't I have this good situation? And then you hear somebody say, oh, you know, why? I remember Monica and I, you know, we tried for years for, to get pregnant. And then another announcement, oh, somebody's pregnant. Come on. Why are you blessing that? Come on. Do you think we'll not make good parents? Right? Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away because of me. Because they think, here I am blessing other people, but I'm not blessing you. And Satan comes in and says, see, God doesn't care. You should just leave. You should just do whatever you want. God really doesn't love you. God really doesn't care. Isn't that what he says? That's the first thing, you know, Satan tempted Jesus with. If you are the son of God. Wait a minute, what do you mean if? God just said he loves me. Right? This is my son in whom I... Love. I love you. look how he's blessing everybody else. He's not blessing you the way you think you should be blessed. You should just get out. And that's what Jesus' is saying. Blessed is the man who doesn't take it personally that when other people are being blessed and they think they're not. Does that make sense? Thoughts, comments. Yes. Ah, yes. That's next week's lesson. That is next week's lesson. No, it is. Because they say you just don't believe enough. And you're like, I don't know how else to pray. I don't know what else to do. I'm out that was kind of old testament philosophy but even god rebuked it among job's friends and said you don't know what you're talking about you think these bad things are happening because he did it he committed a sin he didn't there's just a bigger picture going on yes That's a good point. And tragedy does get us to refocus on what's important. The challenge is Satan gets us to refocus on that God no longer cares. He no longer loves us. If he did, he wouldn't be blessing us. See the thoughts that are going through. So the foundation of dealing with our meantime moment, whatever it is, I just found out I got cancer. God must not care. How did Jesus feel about John the Baptist? I love this guy. I love him. There's no one greater. if he's my cousin. I love him. But there's something else going on that's bigger than what we know. That's class number three. Okay? But you you see the process? The process is... When we are in our meantime moment, God is not absent, apathetic, or angry with you, even if it's your fault. Even if you caused the suffering. I got cancer because I smoked most of my life. I know people that got cancer and they didn't do anything. Right? But this is the challenge we're facing. Yes, does somebody else have them? Scripture talks about that principle a lot, but in, in that meantime moment, like, I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard because if you, let's say you found out you got pregnant and you know your best friend has been trying for years, you feel bad, right? Why is God blessing me and not her or him? It's just more behind the scene than we realize. But the foundation that we need to remember is that when we're going through our meantime moment, God is not angry, apathetic, or absent. The fact that He is silent can play a lot of different roles. We just don't know. Alright, God, if you ask me to go through this, I gotta know that you still care. Right? I gotta know that you still care. Sin has consequences, but God does not want us to deal with our sins by ourselves. He wants us to know that when we have sinned, there are consequences, but I still love you. He never wants us to deal with our sin thinking that He does not love or care for us. Because that's bad parenting. Right? Right? And that's one of the biggest challenges I have as a parent. Because when my son blows it, I want them to suffer. And they're going to suffer anyway through the natural consequences. But I'd like to add just a little bit more because he hurt me. God doesn't play that game. God's beyond that. He says, I love you. There are natural consequences for what you did. And I will help you if you let me manage those natural consequences. King David's a perfect example. Even to the point where his own son rose up to take over his kingdom. God says, I will help you manage the consequences of the fall. But the good news is, I've already taken care of the main stuff, right? Through Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In verse 31. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, remember, if he's willing to die for you, then he is... For you, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also grace and give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for you. Who will, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that will separate God's love from you. It's just that when we're in our meantime moment, we think He doesn't care. We think He's absent. We think, but He's not. He says, I love you, yeah, but you don't understand. I did this to myself. I know I was there. I saw it. There are going to be natural consequences, but I love you and I will help you. It is so much easier to deal with it on this side of the cross than in the Old Covenant, right? Because we know God still loves us, even though we shoot ourselves in the foot. And the funny thing is, you're like, God, if you don't love me, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. And you're like, who are you hurting yourself, right? Along that line. And the first step of being content, God loves me. God loves me. He's proven it over and over again. Yeah, but if God really knew what I was thinking, who I am, and what I struggle with, He knows. He already knows. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. And He still loves you. How can He love me? Doesn't He know I struggle with good and evil? Doesn't He know I struggle with sin? Yes, He knows your flesh and blood. This is love, not that you loved him, but that he loved you first, before anything else. So, as you begin this journey and trying to figure out this meantime moment, it begins with this. God is not angry, apathetic, or absent with you, even if you brought it on yourself. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't know who brought it on what. All we know is that as we live in this world, we're going to go through these situations in that regard. That's the challenges that go on. So, it's important to realize that you are not alone and you are not the first. <laughs> you are not alone in what you're going through and you are not the first one to go through it. Right? We hear these stories and I find this more and more um when somebody goes forward to church or somebody says that they had a miscarriage and then people start coming up to them in droves going, I had a miscarriage. And they're like, What? No way. Yeah. I did. And then the people and then next thing you know, everyone, you know, or I'm struggling with this and they go, No way. Yeah, I am too. You are? Yeah. yeah. You are not alone. There are people in God's word, there are situations, there's people right here that have been through the same meantime moments and struggle with the same issue. God, do you really care? And the answer is yes. He, he does care. In Christ, he does care. It is true that sometimes he's silence, But that doesn't mean he doesn't care If we believe Romans 8, if we truly believe that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, how does that help us begin the process of dealing with the meantime moment? How does that help us to begin the process of dealing with the meantime moment? It helps us put things into perspective, especially when Satan's trying to use it as a way to get us to quit on God. It's like, all right, I'm not going to quit on God, but I do have some questions. Right? That's okay. Job shows us, right? Ask, ask, ask God any question, but you don't understand. I'm really angry with you right now. I can handle it. Bring it on. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What's going on? I can handle it. I'm God. I can handle your anger. Sometimes I really don't like you. I get it. Keep talking. Keep talking. Now we can work it out with God versus just running away from God. How else does it help us? We can't blame anybody but ourselves and the choices that we've made. But let me tell you, there are many times God says to those that have done evil... You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have taken advantage. You and I are going to have a conversation. There are some things that have happened to us that's not our fault, especially when it relates to abuse when we were children. Not our fault. But it is our problem. And we think, God, why did you have me born into this family? Why couldn't I have been born in this one? I don't know. But the healing process begins that God loves you and cares about you. Wrong has been done, but there's a day in God which is going to make it all right. In the meantime, God wants to journey with you in this life to be with you by your side. But even though there are times He's silent, we don't know why. We're going to learn it later on as we go through the process. Okay? Okay? But it all begins right there, so that's an, that's an excellent, excellent point. Anybody else? Excellent. As a matter of fact, that's class number five. <laughs> Which is true. And sometimes we need to just be honest because, I have no clue what you're going through. None. I adopted my three kids at 12, 9, and 7. Those of you who have little infants and changing diapers, I have no clue what you're going through because I refuse to do it. That's why I adopted older kids. Right? I don't know. Now I'm scared to death when my daughter has children. Okay, now i got to, you know, play the role of grandparent. The point being is, there are stuff we just can't relate. But in our society, we want to say, oh, I can relate to anything, anyone, right? Okay. And one of the things that we're going to realize, and we're going to talk about it more next week, is that Western philosophy says that if things are going difficult, if you experience adversity, that means God doesn't care about you, something is wrong with you. They didn't have that struggle most of the time in the New Testament. They didn't, in the New Testament, they thought, if bad things are happening, that's because we live in a fallen world, that's imperfect, that does not mean God doesn't care. But we think of that in our Western culture. Because we think the purpose of God is to make us happy and give us everything we want. Right? Isn't that the challenge? Well, God, if you love me, you wouldn't let me go through this suffering. Suffering, adversity, it's just a part of a fallen world. It's not personal. It's just the way it is. Sometimes it's brought on by other people. Sometimes it's brought on by ourselves. Sometimes it's brought on by Satan. Sometimes it's brought on by God. Sometimes it's brought on... I don't know, I'm just my goal is just to glorify God in whatever situation I'm in, right? But the beginning of that process of glorifying God is to realize God is not angry, apathetic, or absent. He's here somewhere, he's just silent right now, and I don't know why. And when he's ready to tell me, he will. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what we are looking at this morning. Last point. We begin to fall into a trap. I'll never be happy again. Nothing good can come out of this, right? Uh, we caught one. We caught one. <laughs> no, don't go. We, get, we fall into the trap of I will never be happy. Nothing good can come out of this. Because we feel that way, right? And that's also not the case. We can be happy again in spite of the meantime moment. Something good can come from this, and God can use this pain for good. Now, we're not there yet because we've got several steps to go before we get to that point. But I want you to know something good can come out of it. God can use this, and you can be happy again in spite of what's happening. I always wondered, this is my last point, I always wondered when God told Abraham, your descendants will be in slavery for 400 by 450 years and you were born in Egypt as an Israelite in year 20. And you're thinking, God, if you really love me, you'll get me out of slavery. God goes, there's something bigger going on. I love you. I care about you. You mean I'm never going to get out? My grandkids and my great-grandkids, my great-great-great-grandkids are never going to get out of slavery? No. Well, you must not care. Not true. There's just something else going on. You need to know I love you. I care about you, even though you're in a meantime moment. And it's not going to change anytime soon, and it's going to last a long time. But I love you. And that's the first step in getting out. Make sense? Let's pray. <clears throat> Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the Universe, for your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, life is great when we're young. It's great in our early years, but then as we get older, we do begin to realize that there is so many challenges that we face, and we want things to go right, but a lot of times it doesn't, and things happen. People pass away, and and bad things happen. Sometimes they're even our fault. And Lord, we come to you and in the times we cry out to you, we don't want to go through this, it's tough, we can't do it. Sometimes you're silent or sometimes you say, I need you to go through this. We don't know why, but we begin to question whether you love us or not. And thank you so much that through the cross, through the death, burial and resurrection, you've taken care of the big stuff. And you've asked us to trust you and remember that you love us when we go through our meantime moments. Thank you for the relationship we have. People that help us through our own difficult times. That we don't have to go through it alone. That you're there with us and there are people in your your kingdom that are there to help us. And we thank you for that. Lord, it's not easy. You know it's not easy. But it's so much better to deal with life with you than without you. And for that, we give you all the praise and glory. Especially for the one that is fixing everything and will make everything new and will eliminate the curse for us. And so we can see you face to face, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and all of God's people said, amen. See you next week. Lord willing.